Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 228.1. I am your only host, Chris. Uh, so, as you guys know, we've been doing these uh, special one-off episodes to bring in more creators, talk to more people, and specifically try to get in more people who are doing independent stuff as the show grows. We get more cool people that want to be on the show uh, we want to make sure that we're keeping these independent creators, these smaller creators, and giving them a voice and letting you guys find them as well. Uh, today's guest is going to be somebody who we've talked to before, a person I really love talking to and have enjoyed getting to know over the short time that we have known each other, and uh, is back with a Kickstarter. So the last time we talked to him, he was just starting his Kickstarter for the OZ number one. And now he is back with the OZ number two. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk about his series Scouts Honor at uh, Aftershock Comics. And we talk about a few other things as well. He's got some cool stuff uh, cooking currently that he can't really talk about. We joke around about it. We have a good time. Uh, David's just a good guy who makes great comics. And I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with him. So I'm not going to delay it any further everybody uh here we go david pose on the show once again all right everybody we got a returning special guest for y'all this week uh everybody welcome back to the show david propose what's going on Hi. david uh i'm thanks so much for having me i'm excited to catch up and talk about my new kickstarter uh the oz which has just made it's a triumphant return to kickstarter so thanks yeah. again for having me yeah and uh it's already beyond funded i'm still gonna take credit for funding but uh <laughs> it is. it's a shared it's a shared uh, a shared effort um so take take as much credit as you'd like um yeah I, i'm super thrilled uh you know we've uh you know uh we are something like uh i think we just crossed the twenty five thousand dollar mark uh so i think we are um, approaching uh, we're past 400 percent funded uh, which is just uh, surreal. And uh, we have 25 days left, uh, which is even more exciting. Yeah, that's insane. So, uh, yeah, you know, we're really we're really excited. For those who haven't read the OZ that, that weren't uh, aware of our campaign last year, the OZ is like, what if the Hurt Locker took place in The Wizard of Oz? Uh, it's the story of Dorothy Gale's granddaughter, who is a disillusioned Iraq war veteran who finds herself stranded in the war-torn land of Oz. And as she discovers, her grandmother killing two wicked witches and convincing the Wizard of Oz to leave, and then clicking her heels together and splitting, left Oz in a power vacuum not unlike Baghdad, plunging the country into decades of brutal civil war. And so now this new Dorothy is going to have to navigate her grandmother's former friends, the Tin Soldier, the Scarecrow, and, and the Courageous Lion, if she hopes to survive the horrors of the occupied zone, or as the locals call it, the OZ. <laughs> so is. First, the the first issue, um, when we got our hands on it, just phenomenal. I really liked Thank it. You. And it's saying a lot, too, because I'm not a Wizard of Oz guy. Sure. Um, and so what I got out of it, A, it was, a, I believe it was a double-sized issue. So yep. bang as, for your buck, everybody one. there. Yeah. This one will as well? Yep. Uh, all three Kickstarters that we plan on doing will each be double-sized. Uh, nice. We want to make sure our readers get plenty of bang for their buck. And uh, that, we thought, was the best way of doing it. Also, uh, you know, I wrote these as originally as six individual chapters, and they paired together nicely. And I realized that 
Uh, doing three Kickstarters would save me from a nervous breakdown a lot faster <laughs> than six. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was uh, it was self-preservation just as much as uh, offering back to our readership. That's important too, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> this happened to me during uh, my Kickstarter where mm-hmm. – what I would the book I made and was writing about became like a news cycle because mm-hmm. the idea I had filtered into something else. So mm-hmm. not to get super into the weeds of like left right politics, but how did you feel with like what's going on right now? And you're like, I know yeah. it's not Baghdad, but it's it's no, connected I, in its own way. Yeah, you know, it's it it one of those things. And I'm I'm no stranger to my stuff being tied into the news cycle either. I mean, when I announced my book going to the chapel, um you know, shortly, like, I think a day afterwards, there was a shooting at a mosque. Um, and so, you know, any crime at a religious house, you know, you, you have to sort of take a breath and you have to pivot a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I remember so, the, I laughed a little bit when the uh, Boy Scouts news came out in the middle of your, Yeah, we'll talk about that book later, but I was like, oh man. <laughs> Not to mention, an, you know, an insurrection at the Capitol when the first issue dropped. Uh, you know, it, yeah, it was just, it was a lot. Um, it, it, it was, uh, uh, yeah, I, I you know, for me, it's all about you know you want to make sure that you're promoting your work responsibly, that you're you're marketing responsibly. You know, um, we didn't have any reference to Afghanistan in in the Kickstarter before any of this happened, um, but you know, I I made sure we did a quick once over just to make sure that was the case. And um, you know, I think especially with this second Kickstarter, you know, we have been focusing on this this book. It is a dichotomy in a way because we are we are looking at. U.S. soldiers and sort of, you know, what happens in terms of PTSD and, and sort of the, the, the culture shock of coming back home after, after seeing what you've seen overseas and, and, the, and the climate of, of military operations anywhere in the world. But also, you know, this is a story that in certain ways, it, it, it also has sort of that high-flying pulp adventure, you know, like, like it's the same way that Star Wars is, you know, a war story in a way is sort of that big story. It's a big sweeping story of good versus evil. Um, and, you know, sort of the, a little bit of the globe trotting elements, you know, um, in Star Wars, you're going from world to world and Oz, you're going from territory to territory. Um, and so we're, we are sort of straddling that line a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll never say that I am as uh, detailed or granular in the military details as somebody like Greg Rucka, who, you know, he has 20 years on me doing this mm-hmm. and he's a lot smarter, um, you know. And um, so it, it's one of those things that we're trying to sort of uh, – shine a light on sort of the human element of just what's happening to soldiers versus hard and fast specifics about any particular theater of war. And then sort of taking that military mindset, that soldier's mindset and putting it into sort of a brand new battlefield. One that does have echoes of where we've been in the middle East, but certainly isn't, um, isn't comprehensive and isn't specific solely to that theater of war. If that tracks. And uh, I, we might have discussed this the first time we talked, but um, are you a uh, vet of any type, or are you just uh, this no, is just something I, you wanted to put a spotlight well, on? So, so my background for this story that I think really helped in a big way was um, I was a newspaper reporter, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once upon a time, and one of my beats was the local military beat, and so I, I did a lot of interviews with soldiers coming home. Um, especially, you know, this was in 2009, Berkshire County, Massachusetts. So it's an economically depressed area in a very economically depressed time. And so a lot of those interviews really stuck with me in a big way. Um, And I think really, at the time, I wasn't writing much of anything creatively. But I think those stories really kind of stuck with me and, and informed a lot of the themes that 
I generally tend to explore in my work. And so hearing things, you know, about sort of the, the alienation and the, and the isolation that a lot of people felt coming home, um, you know, in part because it's hard to describe to somebody who's never been over there. Um, and, you know, we're sort of busy kind of going about our lives. And, you know, meanwhile, people are coming back from, you know, there's a, it's heavily regimented. You know, there's a real sense of structure, unlike kind of our wild west of a, of a schedule here in, in the U.S. Um, there's the, uh, the hypervigilance that you, you, you deal with over there, especially in the aftermath of any actual trauma, you know, um, whether it's, it's, it's psychological or whether it's, it's physical with traumatic brain injury. And um, I, I remember talking with a lot of people. Um, who I remember one guy in particular, he was telling me like the thing that he liked to do is he would go to the local pool and he would just like hold his breath and just be under there for like as long as he could. And it was like, he was saying that that, that was like the only time that he felt like any sort of safety or, or peace or quiet. And um, that really stood out to me, um, you know, hearing things about like how, how your emotions can kind of, you can go from zero to 60. Um, and sometimes you're sort of mad and have no idea why. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, Fourth of July happens and suddenly, you know, you're you're right back there. You know, um, you're terrified. You know, you're you're you're, you're weeping. And um, those were a lot of the, the things that we tried to synthesize in the character of Dorothy Gale. You know, I mean, she is she's very much sort of a spiritual cousin to Detective Locke from my breakout series, Spencer and Locke, which also dealt with trauma. Um, you know, that in sort of the context of, of child abuse and mental illness, um, Dorothy, it's just, you know, she, she has seen and experienced things overseas. And I think she's also lacking that sense of closure. Um, I think that's really kind of the biggest element that, that we're dealing with is that when Dorothy served overseas, she was one of many. She was not really calling any particular shots. And she lost a lot of friends over there. She watched a lot of friends die and she watched a lot of innocent people die and that really messed with her in a big way and i think that's i think a big theme of the oz in a big way is that she at first kind of refuses the call to heroism you know she's already she says i've been through one war i can't do it again and yet she sees all these innocent people and she's like you know i have to step up um, that's the whole reason i did this in the first place was i wanted to serve and now as sort of the, uh, her grandmother's, um, uh, you know, granddaughter, everybody in Oz has eyes on her. She's, she's realizing that there's a big difference between being a soldier on the ground and also being sort of a, you know, a figurehead and sort of a symbol for a bigger resistance. And that's a, that's a tough responsibility. Um, but I think Dorothy consciously or not, she does see the potential for catharsis here. She sees this as a second chance to write things that once went wrong. And so, you know, it, it, to go back to your earlier question, I mean, I think this book, you know, we're sort of, this is almost like a repeat of Vietnam in many ways for us. And I think psychologically, I don't think the country really has grappled with what that means for us as a whole. And so I think this book, you know, especially when it's fully completed, you know, people are going to look at it, I think, in a different way than, than I, I think any of us anticipated. Um, certainly me as I wrote it. But um, yeah, I think I think in this case, you know, it really is a question of sort of what are the ethics of war? What are the ethics of leading? Um, you know, is there a way to to fight for the little guy and keep your hands clean? Um, you know, and that's going to be something that Dorothy and and her crew will be grappling with uh, for for the majority of our series. Yeah, it's something that 
really connected to me because you, you bring up Vietnam and then what we're going through today. And my father was of the age when he graduated high school, it was draft season. Mm-hmm. And I was of the age where when I graduated high school, it wasn't draft season, but a lot of my friends signed up yeah. and went over. And I've, I've told a few stories throughout the years. I won't get too many in the one-to-one stories, but I always connect to these kinds of books, comics, just uh, media in general because of that reason, because I know so many people that came home and are dealing with the things that you can see on the page. I can see that that's probably why I thought you were a vet of some sort is because I really do see some of the comparisons to people I know and the stuff they went through and what she's going through on the page. That's one of the things I really love about it. I think, thank you for saying that yeah. first and foremost. And I think the other thing that I consider this kind of a rule of thumb for anything I write, especially with the themes that I often tackle, is um, I try to treat my characters with as much compassion and dignity and respect as I can. Um, you know, I never want to treat somebody's real life experience as a punchline. And I, I realized this with my very first book, Spencer and Locke, you know, we really, we took some extraordinary lengths to make sure that, you know, anything was not seen as funny or titillating or sexy in any way, but just like, you know, this is brutal and, and, and uh, sort of establishing the rock bottom that Detective Locke finds himself at and then establishing his climb out for redemption. And I, I found that when you treat these characters with respect and, and compassion and empathy, you're really doing that for your readers. Um, and so I think that is kind of what's helped us close the gap in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it would be very easy for my books to get turned into this sort of, you know, edgelord exploitation, you know? And um, I think that would be doing a huge disservice to a lot of people who are living with this uh, in real life. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think compassion is really the, the, the watchword for the way that we've put this book together. And I've been really, uh, I've been really touched uh, seeing veterans' responses to this and saying, "This I see myself in here, and this really resonates with me." I think it's the the best review we we could ever hope for for a book like this. It's funny you say that the the edge lord comment that is because when I pitched this to a friend of mine, I think after our first conversation, and he's somebody who knows way more about comics than I do. He's also been around longer than I have. And he goes, oh, they've done that before. It's this book. And I said, oh, really? And I looked it up and I read it. And it's exactly what you said. It's somebody who took that theme and that idea and was just like, what if we did it wacky? Like, and, yeah. it just, and then I remember I read that. I'm like, I hope that's not what Dave does. No, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm sure there are a few usual suspects that I'm, I, I'm sure if I threw some darts at a dartboard, I'd probably hit one of them. Um, but yeah, that's not really... Shock for shock value's sake, it's not my speed. Um, shock can get your foot in the door once, but it doesn't really build any sort of long-term reader investment or emotional engagement. And um, that's ultimately what we're doing here, you know, like especially working in a serialized medium like this where you don't have, it's not just one shot. You have to take multiple shots and it, they all have to connect. And to be honest, I mean, you know, as somebody who wants to write more than one book in general, you know, your reputation is the only thing you take with you from, from book to book. And so I feel like um, there's a way to do it as responsibly as you can. Um, and, and I feel like I, I hope that I will only get better with this as, uh, you know, as I build up experience and as I build up my skills and as I sort of learn from each series that I've done. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it is very easy to just hack it out 
to just be like, well, you know, Sesame Street meets the wire, you know? Um, and like, you know, I, I the, the thing is, is I come up with like at least a couple of those terrible ideas every single week. Um, and so I usually let them kind of sit. And I'm like, if I don't have like an actual theme inherent to this crazy high concept, it's probably garbage. It probably doesn't need to see the light of day. Um, and, and, but I know how easy it is for people to just be like, well, I'm just going to, you know, crap out a story and it's going to be shocking and edgy and, and it's going to make me laugh like, you know, a little kid in high school. And um, that's not really my speed. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a time and place for that kind of stuff, but yeah, you're right. Like you get away with it once. I, I think like, I think back to early Walking Dead when they killed um, Rick's wife. Spoilers everybody for like 20 years ago in comics. (laughs) Um, And it's that image of her being shot by the tank and just her insides are coming out. And like that's shock for shock's value. But at the same time, it's connected to so many things like to try to make that character evil and for you to really hate that character and to do all these things. Kirkman works really hard to try to, you know, it build character, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all these. And so, yeah, there are some very shocking and gory deaths, you know, I mean, you think of Glenn, you know, for yeah. earned um, moments. That's why I would but, say, but you know, you've, he's built those characters up that it means something. I mean, whereas like, you know, I can think of off the top of my head, like, you know, and it, I feel bad for saying this cause I, I do like some of his other work, but like, you know, nemesis, for example, where like there's a whole sequence where they're like, there's like, it's like incest and there's like somebody has their womb like booby trapped and it, it it's, it's, it's completely gratuitous. And, um, and I, I, you know, that's the sort of stuff where it's like he rightly got flack for that. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of those things that more often though happens with people just starting their careers because that's, you know, they, they, they want to get a rise out of people. And, um, and I feel like that is just, you know, it's much better to have like a provocative high concept and then actually justify it than just have provocation for provocation's sake and just be like, look what I got away with printing. Um, and so that's something, you know, I, 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 as somebody who wants to have a career that lasts a little while, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't think provocation for provocation's sake is a way to build that sustainable readership. Um, and, and uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I try to, even if the, even if my concepts have a little bit of provocation to them, I always want to make sure that we justify it, that there's a real theme that you can draw out of this outlandish high concept so we can put our money where our mouths are. So, for anyone jumping in on this who didn't take our advice and get the first issue already, yeah. is there a way for them to get it, like to buy yes, it today is. and check it out? Yeah. So um, what you can do, you know, first off, we have the first 11 pages of uh, both issues of the OZ up on our Kickstarter right now. So that'll get you like a pretty good sense of what the book is is like and, 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 and all that. Um, I do have some copies of uh, the first issue available on my website, uh, davidpepos.com. But I would really recommend, honestly, at this point, like we've got catch-up tiers, uh, both print and digital uh, for the OZ. Uh, so you can get issues one and two. You can get you right up to speed. Um, you can sort of 
burn through them both in one go, I think you're going to really dig it. Um, if you're a collector, we've also got tiers. Uh, you can get all four covers of issue two for the price of three, or uh, we've got a great uh, discount. If you're a collector and you missed our last campaign, you can get all nine covers that we put out uh, for the price of seven and a half, I believe that cost is. Um, so we're trying to make sure that like we can get everybody caught up to speed. Um, there is there is no wrong time uh, to, to join us in the trenches uh, for the OZ. And you got some... With any great Kickstarter, some great tiers here. I mean, yeah. you've got the uh, David Popose fan club yeah. uh, sections and uh, stuff. Yeah. I always like the unique stuff, like you get, you get yourself drawn into the book. Or you can get um, a commission from Ruben. Um, yeah. He draws some terrific commissions. Um, we've also got some handcrafted uh, Spencer and Lock plushies. We had a handful made for my creative team. We have two left uh, that are looking for a nice home. And um, my most recent book, Spent, uh, Scout's Honor, which was uh, sort of a, about a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult. We'll be able to talk about that more later. Um, we made uh, 14 Ranger Scout merit badges as sort of a, a bonus giveaway for the book. Only seven of them have been released to comic shops. Uh, but we have a complete set of 14 badges from my personal collection. Uh, one of those got snapped up on the first day. I think we have two left. Um, so yeah, we've got, you know, we're trying to meet readers where they're at, you know, in terms of accessibility and, uh, but also financially. And so we're making sure that everybody's getting a lot of bang for their buck. We just broke our first stretch goal uh, today. Um, so there will also be a digital comics extravaganza uh, added for every backer. That's going to be uh, at least 200 pages of bonus comics thrown in, uh, in addition to the 44 page OZ number two in addition to the uh, first issues of Spencer and Locke and going to the chapel, which we are throwing in as PDFs uh, for free as well. Um, so yeah, uh, lots of value. We want to make sure readers get a lot of bang for their buck and uh, there's only more to come. And that, uh, that digital comics extravaganza, is that all just uh, your stuff or you got some friends? No, involved? These are, these are, these are going to be uh, through friends of mine. Um, so you're going to get people like Justin Jordan, Ryland Grant, Clay Adams, Kat Kalamia, Eric Palicki, um, just to name a, a, a few names, um, and, uh, and, and more, more are joining us. Um, so yeah, uh, I was going to say, uh, I haven't done a full tally yet, but, uh, we've got over 200, uh, bonus pages of material, uh, just from all these amazing creators. Um, so, uh, I believe, I believe we're doing the first issue of spread from Justin Jordan. Uh, if people haven't read that. Uh, Deadskins um, from Clay Adams, which is, I think is a kind of a fun mashup and, and that would appeal to fans of the OZ. Uh, Snow White Zombie Apocalypse from Brenton Langell. I forgot to mention him. Um, that's another you know uh, fantasy mashup if you're into that. We're trying to really kind of curate these things and uh, give everybody kind of a uh, you know a hodgepodge of cool stuff. It's awesome. So I, I mean, once again, I'm sure we asked this in the first one, but it bears coming back to. Uh, why Kickstarter for this one? Because you have been published before and continue yeah. to be published in the future, hopefully. Why Kickstarter? You know, so there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, one is uh, I'm friends with a lot of people who have done successful Kickstarters. Uh, Charlie Stickney is one of my uh, best friends in the industry. Ryland Grant has had success in Kickstarter. Clay Adams, uh, Pat Shand and Russell Nahelty. Those are sort of my, you know, my brain trust for all things uh, Kickstarter related. And Charlie was the one that really kind of drilled it into me. He's the, he said, you know, there are some people that they're Wednesday warriors. They, they buy their books directly from a comic shop. They do that every week. That's where they buy most of their books. There are some people who buy their books mostly at cons, you know, and whenever those come back. 
Uh, you know, we have people who buy their books mostly on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or, you know, Comixology, what have you. And then there are people who primarily buy their books on crowdfunding platforms. And to be honest, the overlap is not huge. Uh, and so Charlie was telling me, he goes, there's a whole demographic of potential readers that you've done no outreach to because you've only printed in the direct market. And so meanwhile, you know, we were working on the OZ. We had two issues in the bag and we talked with, with a number of publishers and, uh, you know, sometimes it was like we made it right to the one yard line and just the timing didn't work out. And, but more often than not, it's just, you know, publishers are busy. It's a, you know, you, you have to catch them at the right time. They're always putting out fires. And, um, and then COVID hit and Diamond had their shutdown and all these acquisitions channels were suddenly extremely narrow. And I realized at that moment, I could just kind of solve one problem with another. Um, you know, we wanted to give the OZ the best possible home. And meanwhile, we wanted to introduce ourselves to Kickstarter with our absolute A game. And so it really, you know, it, the, the, the solution presented itself uh, in, a, in, a, in a really interesting way. And um, yeah, you know, I, I think the, the proof was in the first Kickstarter. Um, seeing we had, uh, in total, we wound up having over 1,300 people order that book. Um, and seeing how dedicated and passionate they were uh, for the OZ and how enthusiastic they were about it. Um, you know, they, they believed. And so I, I, I'm really committed. Um, you know, people keep asking me, how are you going to do, you're going to re-release this through a publisher. And right now we have no plans to do so. Um, my first priority is to make sure that we release the whole series through Kickstarter, uh, because we want to do right by our backers. You know, they're the ones who believed in us when nobody else did. Uh, the book would not exist without them. And so, um, yeah, you know, I plan on, I, I think the comics industry, you know, we're, we're, we're raised from an early age to see it in terms of binary, you know, Marvel versus DC, you know, licensed books versus creator round, uh, you know, the direct market versus the not direct market, Kickstarter, what, what have you. And I think as a creator, I'm realizing it, the word or is not right here. It always has to be and, you know, just the way that, you know, uh, all, you know, most creators that you know of have sort of oscillated between their own creator own work and working on big licensed properties, either at the big two or elsewhere. You need to do the same thing between the direct market and Kickstarter. Or, you know, I mean, you're seeing a, a, a similar argument being made right now with Substack. Um, and I think that is, you know, creators have to be nimble. They have to be trying different readership pools because there is a diaspora out there of readership. And I think if we want to have a sustainable industry, it, it's incumbent upon every creator to do what they can to reach these different groups and invite them all back to the same table. So um, I plan on doing projects with Kickstarter in the future. You know, I, I think not only is it, a, is it a way to sort of make comics more financially equitable, but like I said, it's a whole other readership um, that's really vocal and, and dedicated and, um, and has access to these comics in a way that that it can be challenging to do in the direct market. You know, I've, I've had to yeah. explain to my parents how to pre-order a book and, you know, through no fault of, of anybody, but just the system itself, there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through. You know, you got to call your comic shop. You have to make sure you have the code. You have to make sure that they actually write it down and order it for you and that it shows up undamaged and that they don't sell it before you show up. And, um, you know, and similarly with the retailers, you know, you got to make sure you hope that they buy it. You hope that they actually pay for the thing you ordered. Whereas Kickstarter, you know, you give them a link, they click the, the tier they want, they put their credit card in, they say, this is what I want. And then a few months later, the book shows up. Um, and so it's, it's a different mechanism 
Um, but I think it's one that creators should be learning from. Yeah, it doesn't. That doesn't even account for the millions of people that don't even have a comic shop within reach yeah. that are ordering online or going through Comicsology or something like that. Yeah, like that's that's exactly it. You know, um, and and uh, yeah, I mean, there's no silver bullet here. That's the thing, and you you see it with all these creators now between Scott Snyder with his uh, Comicsology and Dark Horse deal to everybody jumping on Substack to creators like me doing stuff on Kickstarter. You know, you want to try different things. And I think even a couple of years ago, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, I think people, it was easy for people to say, oh, that's being greedy. And I think especially when you're doing it from a creator to creator standpoint, I, I think people are starting to realize like, no, this is how creators can make a living. Especially, you know, uh, in a in a in an environment where cons are shaky at best, you know. I mean, I I, I I don't know if it's been made public knowledge, but it's like they haven't announced you know artist alley tables for Emerald City or C two E two yet. They were supposed to do it this week, and they're waiting a couple of weeks, presumably because they want to see which way the wind is blowing. Um, you know that you know um, VidCon just got canceled. That's a, that's another industry big industry show the new york auto show got canceled i mean that none of, none of that bodes well for new york comic-con um so yeah i think kickstarter in a lot of ways it's the ultimate digital convention you get that cool interactivity with your readership you get to do a little bit of the carnival barker thing of promoting your work and um you know it it, it, it in a way it pays the bills just as fast if not faster oftentimes than your royalty checks um so it's a uh, it's a uh, it's definitely something, a tool that I plan on keeping in my toolbox. And I, I think uh, other creators, if they have the time and the wherewithal to learn, uh, they really owe it to themselves to try it. So you brought up two things that I, I wanted to ask you about. So yeah, shoot. I'll start with hopefully the easier one. Um, how, have you done any cons since uh, stuff has started to, or do you no, plan on doing any um, in the near future? Yeah, well, so um, the last con I did was C2E2 in 2020. Um, that, that was pre-shutdown, right? That was just pre-shutdown. That was when that was when stuff it, it was starting to hit critical mass. That was the last con I've done. I, I did a, a store signing this past weekend for a free comic book day, um, just to kind of get the rust out, and you know, it was outside. Um, I'm scheduled for Rose City. I think it's happening. I guess i'm gonna give it a shot you know i mean it is still it's very touch and go i mean i see people every day backing out and so i, I it'll probably be you know either way for me at this point um you know especially since um the trade paperback of scouts honor has now been delayed to after the con um you know i'm supposed to be scheduled for new york but you know i think that's a coin flip if that con's gonna happen same thing with baltimore um and emerald city i haven't heard anything back from so i i you know I wish that everybody just would get vaccinated so we could just go back to living our lives. Um, it sucks that, you know, even in California, you know, where I live, it can't, you know, it's not the case, let alone Missouri where my parents live. Um, so, you know, I think uh, creators should prepare themselves to not be going out, you know, cause I think it will happen. I think I, I would, I would not be shocked if we had some more con shutdowns and I, you know, we just got to be prepared. You know, um, I don't think it'll get as bad as it did last year where we're shutting down printers and we're shutting down, you know, all the shops. But I do think like big high capacity events like a con or, you know, or concerts or things like that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, it might be a state to state thing. 
We'll see. As of this recording, I'm actually doing one tomorrow. Oh. So um, by the time you're all listening to this, it's already happened, and I've either gone or not gone. But I literally went out today and bought my first, like, let's call it apocalypse kit since, like, mm-hmm. this first started, where it's like, okay, we got hand sanitizer, we got the reusable mask, I'm not just going to wear a cloth mask, we're going to get this and that. And that's as a person who is vaccinated, because I'm just like, we're going to try this, but I'm still a little shaky on whether... Because it is indoors. Like, I feel like yeah. if I was to go to a football game tomorrow, I'd be happy yeah. and fine. But yeah. being in an indoor area is still a little weird. It's, it, it, yeah, it's definitely, you know, a big, a big kind of culture shock, you know, um, you know, um, and, and yeah, I don't, I don't blame a lot of creators for being like, seems a little early, you know, especially ones with kids um, who get vaccinated. You know, I mean, I, I don't have children. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little easier for me to, 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 to be a little more cavalier about it, but yeah, I mean, you know, I miss cons. I miss getting to see readers face to face. I miss, you know, sort of market testing my work. Um, but you know, you know, everybody's health is more important. So we'll see kind of how things go. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's not looking great. I, 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 we were, I was hoping to be back in the swing of things by now and, you know, the rest of the world's got to cooperate. Yeah. So uh, let's swing over to that. You also have brought up Substack a few times. And I'm curious yeah. from the perspective of a creator who's kind of on the upslope of his career. It feels like if you, and this is no offense to you or anyone else, it's just different people in different places, but it feels like somebody like Donnie Cates, it's very easy for him to go on Substack and be like, hey guys, come here. And everybody sure. comes and, Sure. I don't know what he's at now, but it was ridiculous at one point. Yeah. What do you feel for someone of maybe where you're at, or maybe even someone that's like just getting started? Yeah. Like, well, for, I think it, it. I think you kind of hit it on the head. Where where it, it is apples and oranges a little bit because Substack targeted big name creators by design. You know, they wanted people who already had their own following. You know, it's it is it's not unlike the, the image exodus in that in that way. Um, where they're just saying, listen, you know, we know you've written Batman for a long time, or we know that you've written Venom for a long time and had these critically acclaimed runs. Um, we want you to, to, to promote your work on our platform, and we will pay you handsomely to do so, and we will give you the rights to print it wherever you feel like and to keep the multimedia rights. I mean, that is, that is a very slick deal, you know? I mean, it's, it's sort of... it's it's the kind of deal that only sort of the best people, you know, the, the only, not even the best, I should say the most, the most well-known people might be able to get an image and not for that amount of money, you know? And so um, I, you know, I, I understand the appeal, but, you know, I mean, yes, I think first and foremost, Substack is a platform, you know, there's some ethical ramifications to that based on the other types of people that Substack chooses to platform. And that is, you know, that's a tough. That's a tough, you know, road to hope. I think, uh, uh, you know, for me, um, because yeah, like I said, your reputation is the thing you take with you from book to book. But you know, if I've written ten years of Batman and I've, you know, or written, you know, ten years of Hulk or you know, or um, or Venom or something, you know, people might be able to say, well, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't, I don't see any of these creators courting the bad actors that some of Substack does, but you know, it's sort of, you're tarred with the same brush a little bit. Um, I think as a, an indie creator, 
Substack doesn't really affect me that much. I think the only way that Substack affects people, uh, indie creators, and this is a positive, is there's a vacuum. You know, um, when James Tynan leaves Batman, who replaces him? You know, well, and so you know, but you know, it, it, it's one of those things having that kind of migration, it opens up more opportunities, you know, and so, so for that, you know, I'm excited, you know, just to see, you know, what kind of new voices sort of fill the void. And, you know, hopefully I, hopefully I get to take that step up, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think, I think Kickstarter in a lot of ways feels like that, the hybrid, it feels like the, it, it didn't feel like the hybrid two months ago, but now it's sort of, you, it's like Substack and the fact that it's very accessible and all you need is your credit card and, you know, and a, and a web connection to, 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 to get online, but you're able to get that physical artifact the same way that you would if you went into the direct market. So for people who they don't want to read their books digitally, they want, you know, the variant covers, they want to hold it in their hands. They want the, uh, the, the, the extra heavy print stock that we use then, you know, we're right in the sweet spot. I, I think, though, the big difference between a place like Substack and a place like Kickstarter, you know, Kickstarter, I think you're able to organically grow your readership base, you know, because mm-hmm. nobody's really a name over there. Um, you know, you might get an anomaly like a Scott Snyder or a Keanu Reeves, but, like, you know, if I'm the biggest name that you're seeing on there, like, you know, the, the, you're not big, bringing huge names on, on the platform. It is is truly independent. Um Whereas Substack, they are targeting by design people who are more than established, you know, people who are like really like already at the height of their their readership, the height of their power. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm curious as to sort of how things go in the first year, you know, especially when um, Substack's deal changes, you know. I, I, and the other thing that I'm curious about is... These are direct market creators who are going to be put under a webcomic schedule. And, you mm-hmm. know, what happens if you miss, you know, what happens if you miss that? Um, you know, you might, you know, you might get a little bit of forgiveness about that like once. But, you know, if people are plunking down a monthly subscription and they're not getting, feeling like they're getting their money's worth, they're going to pull the plug pretty fast. Um, you know, and even the people who sort of did a, an annual subscription, you know, they'll be pissed. And they'll leave, you know, um, they, they will not renew for it for another year. So I don't know. I mean, that, that all said, you know, I know that sounds very gloom and doom, but like, I would have to think that somebody's thought of this already. You know, I mean, Nick Spencer's not an idiot, you know, uh, he's, he's been in the industry for a while and he knows the business side of things. Um, and so I, I, first off, I don't know how long they've been working on everything. You know, they might have a pretty decent war chest of material to give everybody adequate runway to keep this thing moving for a year. Um, but I'm sure Nick has ideas and it sounds like, you know, it sounds like there's more and more creators joining up. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like in a year. And that, you know, that, 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 that's why it's like, I, I can't con- do too much conjecture over Substack, um, especially cause like, I also know given my platform, there's no possible way I would even be invited to join, let alone, you know, me ever being in the position of having to consider it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I wish them all the best, you know, I, 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 I hope that it opens up new doors for people. I do. I will say one other thing that I think Substack would be good for, for independent creators is that it might make publishers realize like, Hey, just because it's been distributed digitally through another readership 
doesn't mean it's any less valuable to reprint in the direct market because I really do think those readerships, the overlap is so minimal. You know, it's it's probably it's probably like five percent. You know, I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's it's pretty small. And when once you know, Image and Dark Horse and Boom start fighting over these Substack books, I think people will be like, okay, like like it's fair game for people to crowdfund on Kickstarter. Well, you brought up Charlie Stickney before, and I remember talking with Charlie and him telling me that like basically what you just said and why Scout and uh, Source Point and a few of the other yeah let's call them smaller publishers um are aren't afraid to go after those kickstarters because they're like they i mean i don't want to quote charlie so nobody go after charlie on this but he's (laughs) like listen like a good kickstarter does what a couple thousand if i sell that to the direct market i ain't doing so hot (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's not the that's not the shit in anybody's kickstarter it's just to say that there is a, a different customer base going there as opposed to the direct market and you can't yeah. double dip. Yeah, exactly. But, that. Um, but I didn't know, um, cause I remember I've been connecting it with, uh, Patreon because sure. in my world, in the, the podcast world, Patreon was the thing that like blew up and got everyone their, yeah. their stuff. And they did a similar thing where they went after names and said, Hey, come on board and, you know, do this. And I wonder, I just wonder how long before Substack does what Patreon did and just says, just log in and you can create your own Patreon. And, and then everyone's, because I'm always constantly like thinking, yeah. like, when's that going to come I'm for sure. comics? I'm sure. I mean, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if you could already institute paid options into a Substack. I mean, I've, I've never looked into that, but I, I'm sure you could do such a thing. The question yeah. is, 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 would anybody be interested in doing that if you haven't written Batman? Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm also curious in the way that they're going to distribute the comics. You know, I mean, you have somebody like Scott Snyder, who's just doing his teaching stuff. It's a lot easier to be a little more flexible and, and work on the fly with that. Cause it's just Scott, you know, or yeah. James writing sort of his, uh, almost like his tell all about working on the Batman books. That's very interesting to me as somebody who wants to work on a big two property. Um, but yeah, if somebody's just focusing on the comics, you know, how do you distribute those? You know, is it just going to be like a page in your in your inbox or are they going to send you like like some sort of download link, you know, for a bunch of pages? I don't know. Uh, nobody's put out nobody's put out their comics yet. So it's, it's very it's early to say. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that will also be a, kind of a big decider on whether or not people decide to stick it out and whether or not the platform is viable is, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. They'll have to see what the comics look like. Yeah, Um infinitely fascinated by the Substack thing. <laughs> it's it like you said it earlier. It's I've been saying it's the the image comics of our day. It's the digital image comics. So, uh enough on news. I I, I just these are two topics that were brought up that I really want to talk about, sure. but let's jump over to Scout's Honor. Um yeah. so last time you were on, you were just launching this book and you were kind of cagey on what it was. <laughs> it's uh it's out now. It's all out, five right. issues are done and right we're hopefully getting a trade in the near future. I know there's yeah, some trade, issues it, there. So the trade, the trade, it exists. It's on a boat right now. <laughs> um, it's it, the boat is literally just waiting to, to dock. Um, to any, to anyone out there that doesn't know how these, uh, these shipping crates work, go research it. It'll take you your entire night. You'll, your mind will be blown because yeah. you never knew how this worked until today. <laughs> the, the, the long and short story is, you know, we, 
a lot of companies will print their trade paperbacks in overseas and you know based on 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 sort of disruptions in the supply chain and their sort of bottlenecking at, at the ports there are boats and boats and boats of stuff from comic books to anything else you can imagine that are waiting to go through customs and so they're just sitting there on a boat sometimes for weeks and um, I wish I knew if the people on the boat were able to get off or if they're just like chilling on a boat for an extra two weeks, because I feel kind of bad if that's the case. But yeah, uh, my my books, um, as well as a couple other Aftershock trades, they're just kind of hanging out, um, uh, which is why my book is going to be out just a couple weeks late. Um, but the book, it, it does exist. I, 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 I have looked through it. Um, I have uh, I have done editing on it. Um, so it, 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 it is out there. Um, but yeah, uh, Scout's Honor, you know, it's kind of like, um, Mad Max meets the Hunger Games or Mad Max meets Mulan. Um, it's about years after a nuclear war, uh, a cult has risen from the ashes and their Bible's an old Boy Scout manual. And our story follows Kit, a young initiate who's had, uh, who has a, a big secret. She's had to hide her identity as a woman in order to pursue her calling in, in this, uh, patriarchal society of the Ranger Scouts. And what happens to Kit when she discovers her entire way of life was built in a lie? Um, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, it might be one of the more personal books I've written, um, uh, despite it being about a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult. Um, I, I grew up in a particularly conservative upbringing, both politically and religiously. Uh, you know, I was in, uh, grew up in Missouri in a, in a, in a Jewish home. And... Um, it wasn't until I left home that like a lot of the stuff that had been preached to me as gospel, I realized like didn't really stand up to scrutiny in reality. And I remember how disorienting that was to sort of have to recalibrate on the fly like this. And um, I think that's a big part of growing up, you know, as you sort of figure out what are the values that are important to me that really do withstand scrutiny in, in, in the light of day. And what are the things that are just, you, 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 you shine a light to it and you realize it's way too toxic to keep. And what do you replace all that with? And I think that's what Kit uh, grapples with a lot in this book um, is just sort of how does she stay true to herself and, and the potential that she sees in the Ranger Scouts of America while kind of excising this um, really sinister underbelly that the whole cult has been propped up on. Um, so... Yeah, you know, but there are also post-apocalyptic Boy Scouts in it, so it's not just it, it's it, it's it's not that dry. Um, but you know, it is it's a fun book, um, and it's one that uh, really feels the most sort of spiritual and thoughtful um, uh, 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 books that I've I've written in a long time. Plus, giant radioactive monsters. Yes, plus so... giant radioactive monsters. <laughs> no, I, I mean. We got that. I think we you sent us uh, digital copies of that, and it was just one of those books where it, as it went, the twist of you know the character being who she was is, although familiar, I like the way that it was like you keep saying over and over again, built into the themes of the book. Yeah, and well, uh, the, the way yeah. that happened was. Um, Scouts Honor came into being in a very different way than most of my books. Most of my books have been like a long time coming. You know, I've, I, I spend months and months sort of writing them and putting the team together and, 
and pitching them from place to place and getting rejected and breaking my heart. And then either, you know, going to, to an indie publisher like an action lab or printing it myself through Kickstarter. Scout's Honor was very different. Um, you know, it's the first time I'd worked with Aftershock. I knew uh, Mike Martz, uh, my, one of my editors in the book, I've known him since college, um, uh, when I was interned for him at DC Comics. He was the Batman editor at the time. And um, there's the connection, everybody. He's, he's going to Batman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish. Um, but, uh, you know, I, um, when I pitched Aftershock, you know, they had told me, they're like, listen, for you, the best way to do it is, you know, maybe just send us a couple of log lines, just some ideas, and we can tell you if we like any of them, and then you can develop it. And so I, I remember asking Lee Kramer, the president of the company, I said, how many do you want? He's just send whatever you got. And I was like, that's a mistake. Uh, because I sent him like 12 and, um, scouts honor was actually the one that I had just come up with like a week and a half before. And of course, you know, that's how the universe works. That's the one that aftershock was like, yeah, that boy scout one, what's that about? And I immediately felt like, oh crap, I made a mistake because, you know, it's a, a boy scout cult book. Like, you know, I pitched it in 2019, you know, well before the pandemic started. And I was thinking like, crap. How am I going to get away with an all dudes book in 2020? You know, it's just not, you know, that's, it, it seems very retrograde. And then I realized like, no, lean into that. That is super weird. Like, what would it be like for a woman to have to navigate this, this uh, toxic masculinity society and, or, or, uh, you know, a member of the LGBT community, uh, what would that be like for them? And that really became like the spine of the book in, in, in a big way. Um, because Kit is simultaneously, she's a true believer and a heretic, you know, um, she believes in all the positive things that the Ranger Scouts stand for. She sees them as truly the last vestige of, of, uh, of order and safety in a world gone mad. And yet at the same time, literally by virtue of just how she was born, she should be disqualified. You know, um, and it, it's sort of that dichotomy that I think um, is really interesting to me. And it, it shows what a selfless kind of person she is. Um, and I think that's something that she she grapples with over the course of this series. I mean, a lot of my books, it's characters having big changes happening to them. It's usually them figuring out something, some misconception they have about themselves and learning to let it go. Kit, the world changes around her. She's the one who digs her heels in and says, no, there, you know, this is, this is, a, we're supposed to be building a better world. And I don't care if everybody else isn't going to do it. I'm still going to, that's what I believe in. And, uh, the world bends. Um, it's really, it's, uh, her rival Des, who's kind of the, the, the closeted son of the cult leader. He's the one who sort of has the big emotional change over the course of the series. And I think that's why I liked writing Des so much. He's kind of the Loki to Kit's Thor. Um, but, you know, what happens when you're constantly second best and, and your father is the leader of the cult and putting this unending pressure and scrutiny on you and that you're gay and that your society, like, is firmly against this. And so you have to hide who you are, you know, based on your society and who your father is. And you try to mask it with bravado, but, like, you keep getting ground down by your best friend who you're in love with. And what happens when your secrets and their secrets you know, suddenly find themselves face to face and you get rejected. Um, that sort of, I feel like Des, he's a little mixed up in this book. And, and I think it's well-earned. Um, but I, I, I love writing every scene I, uh, that, that Des was in. I feel like he stole every scene that he was in. 
And um, he was probably my favorite, favorite character to write the whole book. I love talking to creators that work with Aftershock because they have that same story that you have of, yeah, yeah, just send me a bunch of stuff and okay, here's like 20 ideas. And they pick the one that either, like you said, uh, just came up with yesterday or um, not to name drop, but when we talked to Colin Bunn about it, he's like, they'll, no one will ever make Dark Arc. No one wants that. But I'm going to put it in my list because I think it's a fun idea. Yeah. Aftershock will make it. And, and I love that publisher for that reason, because they're the ones that are just like, yeah, sure, let's try it. Yeah, they, they, they keep us on our toes, uh, 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 for sure. Um, but no, they, you know, they were so fun to work with. And I feel like I've learned a lot working there. You know, I mean, uh, Scouts Honor is the first book that I've ever worked on with editors. You know, I mean, I, I've been the editor on every single book that I've put together besides Scouts Honor. Um, and so it was nice, you know, first off, you know, not having to play traffic cop <laughs> with every element of the book, um, you know, that like, I, the artist didn't have to check in with me, the editors would check in with the artist, um, you know, and having a creative team match made for me. But we also made that book in a very accelerated time frame. I think Luca was drawing these books every six to seven weeks. So really blisteringly fast. And it made me, I think, a more nimble and considerate writer, you know, um, because you really have to pick your battles. You know, if there's something that desperately needs changing, is there a way to change it in the coloring stage? Is there a way to fix it in lettering? You know, because your artist doesn't have the time to do massive redraws unless it's something that's like absolutely critical. And so um, you learn like, you don't have to be so precious, you know, like as long as you are specific, that is the most important thing. Um, and, and so, you know, for example, um, uh, Tenderfoot, our, uh, our, our giant radioactive spider monster um, was kind of a late addition to the book. Um, you know, it, I had envisioned a very different sort of monster and Luca turned in his pages and I was like, that's a giant monster. That's a giant spider. And I was like, okay, no, like, you know what? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's what Luca wanted to draw. Okay. Like we're, we're gonna make that happen. Um, and I think that's made me a better writer, you know, um, and it's maybe a little bit of a faster writer. And I can tell you just on projects that I've worked on since, um, it's really, it's, it's built up those muscles. Um, that I don't, you know, I think if this had happened on Spencer and Locke, I just would have panicked. Um, but you no, know, like you're working on a book like Scout's Honor with editors like Mike and Christina Harrington. And you're like, oh, I don't have time to panic. Like, we're just gonna, we're gonna figure this out. It's a curveball, but that's okay. We all have them. And it's the job to hit them. Um, and I, I'm really happy with the way we did so. So you bring them up. So let's shout out the, the, unfortunately punching bags of our industry what's what's a great moment because of having editors that that book was made better yeah well i mean first off just bringing luca castellanguida onto the book um you know uh, and and also i should say matt miller a colorist um so i've known luca for a while i'd actually reached out to him for another project years ago and he was working on a small independent comic called James Bond. So he, he did not have time to work on, on, on an indie book with me. No um, offense, but I mean, James Bond. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, and I, I remember, you know, I, I signed my contract and this was like right as everything was shutting down for the pandemic. And, um, and Mike was like, well, you know, what do you think about some artists? And so he gave me a couple names, then I threw a couple names back. And then he goes, hey, wait, um, Luca Castellanguida is looking for a new book. And I was like, I know Luca. Yeah, like that sounds dope. Um, you know, and and 
having somebody like Mike, you know, to advocate for it meant that like, yeah, a guy who's drawn James Bond would be interested in drawing a book like mine because we've, we've already earned the trust of a place like Aftershock, you know, uh, just based on the concept. And um, I, I remember a similar thing happened with uh, our colorist, Matt Miller, where, um, you know, he was the final person to join the team. And I remember Christina saying, hey, I don't think we have a colorist on board yet. What do you think about Matt Miller? And I remember distinctly my response was, are we allowed to do that? Like, I mean, just because, you know, Matt, he's very prolific. You see his work over at, at Marvel. Um, you know, you see his work on other Aftershock titles. And um, Matt doesn't miss, you know, like he is really like, um, I think I could count on one hand the number of times I was like, oh, hey, can we tweak this thing? You know, like, like he's really good at his job. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, you know, having just having those advocates for the book, I think is really important. I will say I, I, there is one story, though, that I, that I think is very funny. And it just it's I think it's just how permissive they were. Like they they really did go out of their way to make sure like this still felt like my story and like they weren't, you know, mucking around unnecessarily it was um, I what what you saw in issue two of that book was about a 70% rewrite on my part. Um, I had turned in my script, realized like pretty much like that night, I was like, that wasn't, no, that could have been a lot better. And meanwhile, Mike and Christina had already approved it. And I was, and, and so like three days later, I was like, Hey guys, I know you approved this script, but I was like, here's the real issue two script. And I had like rewritten like 70% of it. Um, and I just remember them being like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could like, I could like hear, I could hear like the defeated sigh just over the email. Um, but you know, that, 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 uh, got things like, uh, Kit's origin. Uh, that's that, that was part of the rewrite, uh, Kit's, uh, rendezvous at the Eagle's nest with Des was part of that, um, was part of that rewrite. Um, I think really the only thing that wasn't rewritten was uh, the fight with the Marauders at the, at the back end of the book. I think otherwise, almost the entirety of that second issue was completely rewritten from the first draft I turned in. Um, and it's really nice that my editors were so cool to let me do that. Um, so uh, uh, thanks to, to Mike and Christina, if, you, if you're ever listening, um, because, yeah, they were just really terrific people to work with. Unsung heroes of the comics world that we yeah. spend way too much time punching on and need to spend more time uh, praising. Yeah. So, well, for a while, I mean, Dave, uh, first off, uh, Scout's Honor, uh, is the date firm September 22nd, or is it still in the air? Well, it's really more on, on the sea, but um, yes, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's as firm as it's going to be with it still being on a boat, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if, if they don't, if they're not allowed to dock for another two weeks, that might change. Um, but, you know, right now, that's what we've been told by the printer is the, the, the on sale date for comic shops will be November uh, or not November, sorry, September 22nd. Um, and that would push the uh, Amazon bookstore date to uh, October 5th. Listen, to go one more week. It'll be just time for my birthday. Yeah. Well, you know, the trade's coming out <laughs> on my mother's birthday. So I, 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 I gotta um, make sure I gotta make okay. sure that, 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 that October 5th date stays, stays, stays for, for my mom. Yeah. I'll, I'll step back on that one. Uh, <laughs> So yes, everybody, uh, go check that out. I will have the link for the uh, previews catalog uh, in the show notes, so you guys can just click that and hopefully, uh, yeah, send it order, right to your. Yeah, you can order uh, Scouts Honor with the previews code JUL two one one two four six, 
Um, so yeah, J U L two one one two four six. Um, or you can get it, you know, uh, to your you know local comic shop, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Comicsology, Midtown Comics, uh, anywhere comics are sold. Um, so yeah. And yeah. with the link I have below, if you're using the Pullbox app and your local comic shop is using it, you can just click a few buttons and get it sent right there. Perfect. Also, everybody, we've got the Kickstarter going on. Uh, yeah. Remember, we talk about this every week, at least every time we have a Kickstarter on the show. Yes, the book is funded, and I just saw it go up again right in front of my eyes. Uh, yes, it's uh, jumped up a bit, but every penny counts uh, to getting more good stretch goals, to getting... We've got some really cool stretch goals uh, that we're, we're going to be debuting very, very soon. Um, because we've got a year to plan them. So now we've got some like really cool stuff in the works, but, uh, you know, for me, it's not about the financials. It's always about the reader count. You know, we want to introduce this to as many readers as possible. That's why we're, we're, we're really working overtime to like, make sure that this is worth our readers while. And, um, yeah, so, uh, stay tuned. Cause we've got some more fun, uh, stretch goals, uh, you know, including, um, you know, enamel pins, uh, maybe a bonus cover. Uh, maybe some prints, maybe some stickers, maybe a theme song, maybe some director's commentary. You know, you may want to just like and share uh, to as many people as you as you can because uh, we've got a, a lot of fun stuff to to, to give, and uh, we just we we want to build our readership um, and and share it with as many people as we can. Yeah, be like me and pledge. It's a good book. I love the first issue, Thank so you. I'll have that link down below as well, everybody. So you can just click that and check out the campaign. Yeah, you can and. Just, uh, uh, bit.ly slash the OZ comic and it'll take that, you straight to our page. That's even easier. And I also have a link to David's website. Before I let you go though, David. Yeah. Everybody out there who does not know this should know that. Are you aware that we are both on the same book together? No. Which book? Cthulhu Invades Oz. I believe you did the yes, intro to it. I did. I'm I on the back that. cover of it as well. Look at you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was so wonderful. Travis Gibb asked me if I could write the the intro, and um, it was such an honor. I've never written an intro for a book before, and um, yeah, it was, it was my honor. Um, and uh, what a what a what a gorgeous looking book that is. And uh, so, if you haven't uh, gotten a copy yet, uh, hit Travis up. Uh, get it. Get a copy sent your way. I think he's got an Indiegogo. Uh, for people who missed the Kickstarter, maybe I'm making that up. Um, but uh, if not, hit him up. I'm sure he's got copies yeah. to spare. I'm not sure, but I can't go like two months without talking to Travis Gibb on the show. So I'm sure he'll be on soon, everybody. But I just wanted to bring that up real quick. So everybody, thanks. I mean, not everybody. David, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, my uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on, chatting with me. And uh, good luck on the rest of the campaign. I mean, not that you need it, you're killing it, but, uh, hey, I'll take all the luck we can get. Um, <laughs> no, thank, thank you so much for, for, for having me on the show. And thank you to all your listeners for, for, for watching. Um, you know, I, I, it takes a lot to get traction on, on books like ours. And, uh, that's why we have such a long preview is we really think that, um, if you look at the art, if you look at Ruben Rojas and Whitney Kogar and DZ Hopkins, their work speaks for itself. Um, their work is just as, compelling as anything you'd, you'd find in the direct market, anything you'd see from the big two or the big five. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, become a yellow brick road warrior, join us and join us uh, in the trenches of the OZ. And uh, one more thing before I let you leave that uh, cryptic tweet about a new book coming out. When you announce that it's Batman, I expect <laughs> you to come on the show again and talk about it. My friend, I, I, I'll let you know. I, I, all I can say, <laughs> all I can say is uh, I think it's the biggest swing I've, I've ever taken. And um, when you see it, you'll be like, "That is very. That's a very Pepos idea." Uh, so uh, yeah, very excited for, uh, for 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 people to get to see it. 
Awesome. Thanks, guy, man. Oh, thank you.